You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and I have a great lineup of guests for you tonight on the show, starting with our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal. After Ron, I'll be on the phone to the author of New Cookbook, Entertaining with Andrew Rudd, one for the Christmas list, I can tell you. Kenmare foodie Karen Coakley will be sharing her recipe for a delicious chicken wrapped in parma ham with telegio cheese and sedge leaves that she cooked up for the judges at the Easy Food Home Cook Hero competition that Paul Flynn and uh, Catherine Fulvio judged at, and we'll find out how she got on there. And Lisa McGee, editor and founder of Isle magazine, tells me briefly about her online magazine ahead of her slot next week covering Thanksgiving dishes and the week after she'll be back to talk about her top Irish food and drink gifts for Christmas. If you've any news that you'd like to share with the listeners, please get in touch. You can email me s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, Org being short for organisation. I always get great feedback when Ron Forrestal of Forrestal Wine Merchants comes on the show and tonight he returns and we're going to be talking about wine to go with soups and stews. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. I'm joined now in the studio by Ron Forrestal. Welcome Ron. Hi Sharon, how are you? I'm great at yourself. Pretty good now, pretty good. I'd say now a nice warm bowl of stew or a nice warm bowl of soup wouldn't go amiss now in this type of weather. That's what would make me feel really great tonight. So that brings the question to mind then, what what yes. wine do you drink with, with stew and hot soup? Well, it's probably only appropriate for the last week that the weather has actually changed to, to get a bit colder because it's pretty cold tonight. Um, stews are, are um, you know, they're kind of a comfort food more than anything else. Um, if you're talking about anything that has red meat in it, like a beef, um, lamb, you're really talking about red wines and you're talking about red wines that can kind of stand up to fairly big flavours because stews tend to be fairly fairly powerful when you when you taste them. Now, there's a huge variety. It really is. There's probably 25 or 30 varieties of wine that you could drink easily with any of them. That would be a perfectly acceptable accompaniment. So really it comes down to taste and what you actually like yourself. But if you look at the, the where the food actually comes from, like beef bourguignon, that kind of product, as I said before, in these areas they make wine to accompany their food. So if it's beef bourguignon, you can be sure that burgundy reds are going to be pretty good. Uh, they're not too heavy. Um, wines from the Rhone Valley, very good, like top end would be Chateau de Pape, lower end would be Cote de Rhone. They tend to be a blend of uh, Syrah, which is Shiraz, and Grenache. Fairly powerful red wines. Um, not that altogether popular now because the new world has taken over so much, but um, they work very well. And But I don't know, it's a funny thing. I don't know how you feel about yourself, but eating stews and food like that, it's not the easiest to drink wine with. We have to force ourselves to yeah. sometimes, Ron. Sometimes you just have to take one for the team. They're difficult enough. Food that, that you know that's pretty hot and tends to be very hot when you're eating it doesn't lend particularly well to drinking that much wine with it. Um, so that's that doesn't help my business now particularly well, but that's that's what I find about it. Um, but those would be perfectly acceptable. But then again, any red that you like that's reasonably full-bodied would be perfect. No problem at all. Okay, and... If you're cooking then, you, you mentioned beef bourguignon. Yes. 
I think a lot of people think if they're cooking with wine, it has to be something cheap and cheerful. Some people would say, if you're not going to drink it, don't put it in the food. Yeah, I would be going with the with the uh, second opinion more so than the than the first. I suppose it goes. It, it it's there's two ends of it, of course. There's, there's white wine that's used for cooking. Uh, you know, for your kind of cream sauces. You know, that that for the company fish, chicken, whatever that would be. I think the, the the wine for that is probably more important than the red one, um, mainly because it tends to stand out a bit more when you when you taste it in the sauce. Um, so I think it's important that you you definitely use something that you drink. It doesn't have to be the your your favorite bottle of wine now, but it needs to be something that you find acceptable to drink. Um, the alcohol is burnt off it, of course, so all you're left with is the flavor of the wine. It's important it has flavor. With the red, they tend to be much slower cooking. You know, they tend to be cooked for an hour, two hours, uh, slowly in a pot. Um, so I, I don't think that's as important, but they need to be full-bodied if you're going to use them. There's no point using Pinot Noir, which is pretty light. You better use something like Cabernet Sauvignon, Shiraz, something that's pretty full-bodied. You don't need to use as much of it, first of all, because it'll have that, it'll be a little more pungent than the other ones. But uh, but yeah, but now I've seen chefs do both ways. I, I've seen um, very well-known chefs who wouldn't use anything uh, anything expensive at all, and then I've seen other guys who'd get a particular glass of of something to put into a sauce, like they'd come out and get a, a glass of Chardonnay to put into a sauce because their menu said a Chardonnay. You don't see that anymore, actually, on menus. But when I was Working in restaurants 25 years ago, that was fairly common to have the uh, variety of wine written on the on the menu. I suppose it's easy for a chef that he's surrounded by all these different wines and he can get a glass. If he just needs a glass, he, he can get the glass easy enough. But if you're cooking at home and you just need a glass, you want to be opening a good bottle of wine that you can drink the rest of it. Absolutely. Like, when, when are you going to have a bottle of wine at home that you didn't want to drink? Like, what occasion would you have got that on? that unless somebody gave it to you unfortunately but if you bought it anywhere you probably intended to drink it at some stage so I'd imagine they're all going to be pretty good uh, so there but the only thing is that if particularly not to be wasting wine um, if you can pick up a few quarter bottles they're perfect they're fine you know that's perfectly acceptable particularly if you're using white you don't need to you're not drinking it what about putting it in the ice cube trays and freezing it yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, freezer yeah I've seen them do that before that absolutely works, yeah. yeah works perfectly well doesn't do anything particular to the wine you know you're not going to drink it again so that would be the the uh, important thing not to do if you planned on drinking it but for sauces I'd imagine there's no issue at all and if you open a bottle and you don't use it all and you don't put the leftovers in the freezer how long will it keep if it's white or if it's red. Well, if you're cooking with it, it's going to keep that bit longer. You know, if you're drinking it now, by the next day, it's really has its, it's as, and I said this before, I think to you that it depends how good it was to start with. Um, if it's a fairly reasonably priced bottle of wine, like a, you know, a seven, eight euro bottle of wine, um, it probably hasn't got a whole lot of flavor to it anyway in the first place. It has an awful lot to lose. So that's going to be fine for a couple of days. But the better ones that you actually like, you know, like a New Zealand Sauvignon or something like that, they're going to deteriorate very quickly. They'll start losing flavor. They'll be perfectly fine the next day. They just won't be anything like they were when you open them. And is it, if it's a screw top, a screw top, you just turn the 
the top put the top back on it obviously yes if it's a cork one put the cork in it or one of these other contraptions yeah. that you can the, get there's a lot of different things you can put into them now people say that you know where they have where you'd have someone that have a glass of wine maybe their their self and their partner have a glass of wine at night and not use a bottle wouldn't drink a bottle but would like to have a glass of wine with the dinner um, the, I've seen people who regimentally work out these things and have a half bottle and pour the half a bottle that's left into an actual half bottle so there's no air in the bottle and put the screw cap back on it. Now that will last much longer because the air is the problem. The air is where the bacteria comes in and starts to oxidize the wine. So if you can eliminate the air, then that wine will last for two or three days. There are systems in bars, you've seen them yourself, probably these Verduven systems. It's like a bottle on the wall and you see them pushing the bottle up to it. And what it does is that it, it uh, replaces the air in the bottle. So when you, they can have like 10 wines by the glass. And you wonder, God, how do they keep all these things fresh? But they'll keep fresh for up to seven or 10 days if the air is all taken out of the bottle. So they put them up, the air is taken out of the bottle and it's replaced with nitrogen and CO2 which is tasteless and odorless and what's used in beer the same concept it's used in beer and it lasts for 7 or 10 days perfectly well now you gave me a contraption in the past that I can use to kind of suck the air yes. out now to be honest I don't get much use out of it Ron I don't <laughs> surprise you but what's that called? it's a vacuum pump Okay. It, what it does is it, it eliminates the air it creates a vacuum inside in it again it's all about taking out the air taking out the oxygen out of the bottle that works fine as well too just that it takes a lot of work if you're going to keep pumping it like every time you're in a bar if you pour the glass you'll have to pump it each time to make sure that the air isn't in contact for a couple of hours and you leave that on the top of you it. leave it on the top and just pull it off the following day okay. yeah they work perfectly fine um, but uh, but people should think about but you know half bottles are hard to get in shops they don't sell them I think there's a value for money issue there as well yeah a slight bit but I think if you're willing to spend a little bit more um, and buy a nice like I, I'd have half bottles of Pinot Grigio that are very popular in restaurants um, that would be costing around you know six euros a bottle for a half bottle but they're very good half bottle um, because nobody's going to go put the trouble of anything cheap into a half bottle so it's going to be a reasonably good quality before they even attempt to put them into it but I, I think they're lovely I think they're a great idea and some restaurants use an awful lot of them amazing amount of them all these wines are going to be available to taste yes. at your wine tasting tell. Just remind, I know you talked about it the last time you were here, but it's coming up now in a couple of weeks' time, so just remind the listeners about it. It's on the 28th of, of November, uh, Newcastle West Golf Club again, um, which is a superb venue for it. It's just, uh, and they're, they're very good. They, they hand over the, the whole place to us for the night. Um, so we have about 70-odd wines, and we're just working out the final details and what's actually going on taste uh, at the, on the night. Um, so you just walk in, you get a glass, and you can spend the next two and a half hours going through the wines we'll have the guys behind the tables the, the principals the guys who, who are agents who take these products in they're able to go through the wines with you if you want to but this is an ideal occasion to try something you haven't tried before that's that's the idea of it because people tend to do the same five or six things all the time and this is a night to go out and to taste a Riesling taste a Viognier taste something that you haven't tasted before and this year we're, we've, we've incorporated a little bit of um uh, a charity in um, in Adair, the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland, which has a respite day centre in Adair, which is a fantastic organisation and, and are stretched for funds at all times. So this year we've put a we've put a little charge on the night, which is ten euros a ticket. Um, we intend virtually all of that to go to them um, on the night, and 
it's 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 a great cause and uh, our tickets are, are are virtually gone at this stage we have a few left so people should get in touch with you sooner rather than later through yes. your Facebook page or give yeah, you a ring or absolutely. forestal.ie is your website. And there's cookery demonstrations on the night as well. Cookery demonstrations on the night with Chef John Quinn. We also have some other stands, about six or seven other stands of people with local companies, crafts um, that give you other ideas for gifts for Christmas. Just a way of, you know, giving you other things to look at in the night when you walk around. Some nice finger food from John Quinn in, in, in the golf club. And it's a nice night, you you know, it's it's a nice sociable night where you can walk around and and uh, it, it worked very well last year. We really hope we can uh, we can replicate it again this year. Yeah, so people shouldn't feel intimidated in any oh, shape no, or form. Lord. That, as you say, there'll be tables set up there. You go up, you can. Yeah. say yep I'll taste a glass of that I'll taste a glass of that you can talk to the people behind the tables ask them for more information it's not you're not standing up talking absolutely about not specific no wines. you're completely on your own when you get there okay. you can walk around you can you can taste the same product all night it makes no difference to us <laughs> the, or you can make it around to the, the four or five stands that all have wine in them around the place but yeah it's, it's, a, it's a very nice night it's, it's educational it uh, gives a great opportunity to taste things you would never dream of buying in a shop uh, but this might be the opportunity to try something like that. And that. people can place orders on the night or yeah, yeah, the absolutely. days after it and you deliver then absolutely. a case yeah, yeah. is the minimum six bottles which isn't really that much at all and you'll deliver that then. To the yes. house. So it's a great opportunity to stock up for Christmas, Christmas yeah. gifts. And know and exactly what you're getting yes. because you've actually tried it before okay. you've, you've got there. But it just it's a great cause as well. It's a fantastic cause, that particular one. And they get overlooked a lot with, with the bigger organisations that are out there and, and they need every euro they can get across. So that's why we're... And it's a free draw on the night for everybody who attends. What do you it's win? Some great prizes. Um, some from local restaurants and uh, wine and other crafts and and uh, some lovely prizes and actually four tickets from the from the chamber orchestra in Limerick can be four tickets for uh, St Mary's Cathedral for a concert in December which are impossible to get because it's a very small venue. Very nice, lovely. So that's Friday the twenty eighth of Friday November. Friday the twenty eighth. And forestal.ie will get your contact details there or the Facebook page. Yes, or or just call me on 069 Fantastic. And the next time you'll be in, Ron, it'll be December and we'll be talking about Christmas wines. Isn't it fantastic? Not long to go now. <laughs> Thanks a million for tonight. No problem at all. Thanks, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Thanks to Ron for coming in this evening and details of the wine tasting will be on his Facebook as he said as well as his website there forestal.ie so be sure to take a look at that and if you don't make it on the night check out the website for details of some lovely wines that you could be stocking up on for Christmas. He'll be back in four weeks with his Christmas recommendations to go with the turkey, ham, etc. And if you have any questions for him, please email me, s.noonan at live.ie, and I'll be sure to put them to him whenever he's here. Still to come tonight, I'll be talking to the author of a wonderful new cookbook called Entertaining with Andrew Rudd, and Isle Magazine's Lisa McGee talks briefly about her online magazine that has lots of food and drink news in it. Next, though, it's recipe time with Kenmare foodie Karen Coakley. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Karen Coakley of Kenmare Foodies. We're here in Temple Glanton just for a little change out and about around the country. And tonight we're going to talk about a new recipe that you have for us. Tell us what it's called. It's called Chicken Telegio, Sharon. And it's a recipe that I have, I think, since 2001. 
it's on the go that long in our house and it's one that my older boys would have loved and now my younger twins they love it as well as does my husband and is there much involved in it it's a really very easy dish to do and basically what you do is you get four chicken fillets the recipe is for four and it's on my blog kenwarefoodies.com so you get your chicken fillets and what you do is you put them on a chopping board and you put cling film underneath them and over them and then you pound them with a rolling pin to about the thickness of a rich tea biscuit and then you get some parma ham or prosciutto the parma you can go as high end or as low end as you want to on this and you lay that out and then you get four small sage leaves and you place the four sage leaves on your parma ham and then you get a cheese an italian cheese a soft cheese called taleggio now if you can't get taleggio use a really good camembert or a brie instead um, as long as it's like tasty and oozy that's fine but taleggio what i like about it is it's got a lovely nutty flavor and almost like an after finish of beer like hops to it it's really good so you Put a slice, a very thin slice of the Taledio cheese in your chicken. So you lay that on your chicken and you roll it up like a sausage. Then you get the rolled chicken, put it on your parma ham and sage, roll that up. In the meantime, have your frying pan heating with some olive oil and a good knob of butter. And then you put in your chicken and you like turn it maybe every three minutes, you know, turn it over to keep it cooking for about 15 or 20 minutes, basting all the time. Then when that is up, when like you can see that all the pink is gone on the chicken and that it's cooked through, take it out of your frying pan with a slotted spoon, add in 300 millilitres of stock, it'll sizzle and it'll bubble, but that's good. And you should have a small bit of cheese will have oozed out of the chicken. And then you deglaze the pan with the stock. So while you're pouring in the stock and while it's bubbling, just keep with a wooden spoon getting all the sediment off the bottom of the pan. And then you add in six tablespoons of cream once the stock is reduced down ever so slightly. Put your chicken back in for about another two minutes, three minutes, I think, actually, and baste the chicken with your creamy sauce and then turn it off and let it sit for about two minutes to finish cooking through. Season with salt and pepper and serve it. It's really, really, really good. And it's a dish that you can serve, you know, you can use, you know, a cheap um, parma ham if you want to from any of your supermarkets and, you know, a brie. Or if you want to make a special dinner out of it, you can go for a really, really good um, prosciutto with your taleggio or a high-end cheese. And what would you serve that with? I love to serve it with asparagus. I just put some asparagus with um, coated with olive oil, salt and pepper, stick it on your griddle pan and keep turning it over. And some uh, baby roast potatoes in the oven for like a half an hour, you know, the small baby potatoes. Um, cover those with olive oil, salt and pepper. Put in some sage if you want to, to complement, you know, to take through from the sage that's in the chicken. And for about a half an hour, and it's just, it's fabulous. You can dress it up or dress it down with a glass of wine. It's lovely. Now, this is a very, what's the word I should use to describe it? This is a very special recipe to you, and you're going to tell us why that is. It is because um, I was a finalist in the Easy Food Magazine Home Cook Hero Awards, and it was this recipe that actually got me through to that. The awards I heard about when I was at the station um, a few weeks ago. So That I entered, would be the radio station as opposed the to the garden station. station. Yes, the radio station, <laughs> West Limerick FM. And um, so I heard about it and I entered my recipe. And then about three weeks ago, I got a phone call saying that my recipe had been submitted for um, the finalists. So I had to go to Dublin um, last Saturday and cook for Paul Flynn and Catherine Fulvio in Cook's Academy in Dublin. Now tell me what they were like because Paul Flynn is on a programme or has been on a programme recently The Taste of Success and he comes across as a very hard taskmaster. They're actually they're lovely they really are. Paul Paul is a great guy I think Paul is just 
he's very approachable and he's very encouraging to people and then Catherine is I didn't get to talk to her but just my perception of being in the room with her and even that evening we had to go to an awards ceremony where all the finalists were announced she just has a presence to her um just watching her she was, she's beautiful because she is beautiful but just very friendly and bubbly and at ease and she just seems like a lovely person how did you find the experience on the day cooking in cooking the dish in cook's academy were you very nervous or did it just come as it naturally just, to you as funny, in your own I kitchen thought i thought i would be very nervous but um i wasn't because the setup there it was so good and it was run so well by cook's academy i think the one thing that i was worried about was you know there was two film crews there and martin king was he was there i started cooking at half nine we had we had to be there for 20 past eight. We started our prep at quarter to nine and between quarter to nine and half nine we were prepping and TV3 were filming because there's an hour long episode of it being shown on TV. So somebody had said to me, the thing is that if you're cooking and if they come up and if they kind of talk to you, it can be a bit distracting. So I was happy in that Martin King came over to talk to me before I got the chicken in the pan. It was like while I was pounding it out and once that was done, then I was fine. But the setup there was fabulous. The kids, there was kids there there was adults there and like when you see the people and the talent that's all around it's just brilliant so totally loved the experience well speaking of kids you actually were up against Kathy Foley who is from Broadford which is West Limerick I don't know if you know that or not but I believe it was the third person in the category it was somebody she from Balnarobe that yes, won it yes she was cooking beside me and she had entered it last year and she had also done the apprenticeship Apprentice, apprentice chef that's run Mark Doe was involved in that with um, Trini IT so she'd been in that as well last year and I mean these girls were amazing they were the girl that won it was a transition year student and her chicken dish had gotten her an A in her junior cert last year and you know they'd had their home ec teachers helping them out with everything and they were just see it's great to see somebody so young with such passion and enthusiasm for what they do and there was a lot of young people there in the night there was another girl from drum caller her Ashleen Brown and she won her category also so congratulations to them and to yourself and Kathy for being shortlisted it was great to see the West Limerick flag being flown even though you're not really from West Limerick but because <laughs> you're you have your regular slot here on the show I think it's it's fair enough to say that now you mentioned the TV program yes so that is going to be on this Saturday That's on this Saturday um, I think it's 1 40 p.m on TV3 it's an hour long and it'll show us in the morning cooking and then the award ceremony that night so you get to see us all glammed up yeah so that that's one definitely worth looking out for to, to have a look at you in all your finery and yes. <laughs> pounding the chicken I'd say they'll have that on so that recipe is just remind us again what it's called it's called chicken telegio and it'll be on your it's on my blog, blog already okay yeah. so kenmayerfoodies.com well congratulations Karen and thanks a million thanks, for talking Sharon. to me you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us, Ron Forrestal was here talking about what wine goes best with stew. I know it may sound like a strange combination, but sometimes that's just what you want to have to drink with it. And just before the break, Kenmare Foodie, Karen Coakley shared her latest chicken dish that was shortlisted at the Easy Food Home Cook Hero competition recently. Karen was talking about the programme, which was actually on last weekend. You may have seen it, but if you did, 
didn't, you could maybe try the three player and catch up with it there. It featured what took place during the day in terms of cooking and then the award ceremony at night. And you'll have a chance to see some of the competitors, which included Karen, who was actually competing against a West Limerick student, Kathy Foley, who is from Broadford, I believe. They were both in the same category, but sadly lost out to somebody from Ballinarobe. But there was another student from Drumcolliher. I think she's from Drumcolliher anyway. Ashleen Brown, she won her category. So congratulations, Ashleen, Kathy and Karen for taking part. Never fear if you missed some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous 2014 shows. So if you've missed any of them, pop on there and listen to them at your leisure and you'll find that podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show and there are dashes between food and drink show. So we regularly talk cookbooks on the programme and tonight I have another one for you. It's the first book by Andrew Rudd and in my opinion there's something very special about this book. I had a great chat with Andrew about it on the phone recently and let's have a listen to what he told me. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Andrew, tell us about the book. It's entertaining with Andrew Rudd but how did it all come about? Well, interestingly, it came about, uh, it was something that I've wanted to do for uh, a few years. Um, I've done a lot of work with uh, Sunshine Radio in Dublin and East Coast Radio. About four years ago, I was with one of the uh, journalists and they were interviewing somebody from HarperCollins. And I was asked whether I'd like to do a book. And I thought, well, you know, I certainly wouldn't have the profile for anybody, you know, such as a, a publisher to, you know, put the backing behind it. And it really never came to anything. And then in January of this year, I was back in their new studio in Dublin city centre. And I met uh, a girl and she asked whether I would like to self-publish. And she promotes self-publishing. And she has a company called writing.ie and she works with an organisation called Kazoo Publishing, which is effectively set up to help people like myself and people that would like to get into whether it's writing, novels, cookbooks, to uh, publish for themselves. And that's actually how it all happened. And we started the process off probably in February of this year, 2014. And um, the rest really kind of was me kind of putting together recipes, which I had a huge catalog of recipes over the last three or four years. But we had to kind of sit down and work out exactly how we wanted to, um, I guess, present them and what we wanted to do with the book, because there are so many different cookbooks out there, as I'm sure you're well aware yourself. Which is not a bad thing, I don't think. Like, And especially at this time of year, it's a great time of year for there to be such an array of choices there out there. But I like the way yours is laid out. But before we get to that, you mentioned there about profile and not having profile. Your business is medley and it's a very unusual catering type setup that you have. Just explain to us what it involves. Well, Medley is uh, it's a private dining venue. Um, a lot of my friends, kind of, when I first opened it up, said, you know, it's, it's, it's great, you know, that Andrew's kind of set up this new business because before I was doing a lot of private catering in people's homes, a lot of contract catering at weddings. And um, they describe it as being not a restaurant, not a bar, not a club. It's a venue. So basically it's a venue for private hire. So we do a lot of private functions, whether that be a 50th birthday party, a hen party, a 21st, and in fact, 80% of what we do there would be corporate dining. So we do a lot of work with people like Google, Facebook, Microsoft, where we would have staff nights out. And actually, in the lead up to Christmas now, 
Um, we are block booked from about the 16th of November. We only have one or two dates available right up until the 22nd of December. All Christmas parties where we had Irish chefs by profession, so we would cook and we would design a menu in consultation with um, the clients. And we would have canapes and Prosecco on arrival, and then we would have a sort of a sit-down sit four- to five-course meal with wine, and then we'd have entertainment. So we would bring in, whether it might be a band, whether it might be... We actually recently had Mundy in there, who's a neighbour of mine from home in, in Offaly, and we did a... Um, actually, it was a TV pilot with Lorraine Keane called Sing for Your Supper. So, Medley, we do so many different things there. We do PR launches, and we've actually got an event on tomorrow with another PR company. So it's basically a multitude of lots of different things. But we also use Medley to produce the books. We do all the photography in Medley and food styling ourselves as well. You said there about growing up in Moneygall, which is not a million miles from, from West Limerick. And like Nevin Maguire, you're one of nine children. You come from a big family. That's right. And food was very much at the heart of your, your childhood. It was. I mean, I had two things in, in my blood. One is kind of farming and agriculture, and the other would be kind of marketing and sales and advertising. My dad, his background was, was advertising back in the late 50s. He worked, he worked for Birdseye in the UK um, at the time when, you know, you go into a supermarket or a shop, you didn't have frozen food. So he was one of the very first people to actually introduce frozen food. So he was a kind of a pioneer in his own right. And my mother, in, in her own right, she had a background in child education. So in terms of the psychology of food and marketing and, uh, shall we say, even entertainment, um, I have that in the blood. Yeah, grew up with one of nine children. My, pig, my parents actually started farming pigs, so they became pig farmers in 1973, which is the year that I was born. And then they set up Rudd's Bacon, uh, which maybe many of your uh, listeners will be aware of, which was um, a, a company producing antibiotic-free bacon without the use of you know, growth promoters, it was dry cured, etc., etc. So I had that in my blood as well, um, and I <coughs> studied agriculture um, and when, I left, when I left school, went to college, uh, studied agricultural marketing, and then I did a master's degree in agricultural economics. Um, so that was kind of the, shall we say, the business side of it. And, I, you know, the food production side I had in my blood anyway. Um, so I was always going to gravitate back into the, the food business in some way, shape or form. I love the way that there is actually a very personal aspect to this book because your acknowledgements at the start of it are referring a lot to your family and friends and also to your childhood and growing up. Like there's a story there in itself, I would say. That's right. That's right. I mean, up until last week, we had the launch party for for the book last Thursday and I hadn't showed my parents the book and I actually have dedicated the book to them with a picture of their wedding photograph from 1968 um, and, you know, really kind of, you know, mentioning the fact that, you know, my real food heroes are my parents. And we have a lot of um, anecdotal stories about my family growing up. We have a lot of pictures of my family. If you can picture, and particularly as a, as a, as a listener when you're inter- listening to this interview, when you open a book, whether it be a cookbook or anything else, the two inside covers are normally blank. So but you're paying for it. So because I was self-publishing, I thought, well, let's utilize the space and, you know, make best use of it. So I've used a lot of family photographs going right back to my early childhood. There's one of me aged about four in a Batman costume. We have pictures of my parents, you know, sitting on the tractor with my dad, the slurry spreader, my other brothers and sisters. So it's all very much a kind of like a family story. And I think this is very much about my family as, as much as it is about myself as well. So it's really kind of something that I've wanted to do for such a long time, but it, it wasn't 
that sort of a selfish act. It was something that I really, and that's the main reason why I wanted to dedicate it to my parents, because it was, it's, it's really all about them. And interestingly, even the, each of the different recipes, I have a little anecdotal story about how each recipe I've come up with, which is, which is quite nice as well. And the foreword is by Derek Davis, who would be well known from television. That's right. Derek's an old family friend. Derek, if you can recall, years ago in the 80s, did a program called Taste of Ireland, where he travelled around Ireland looking at artisan food producers. And this was at a time when, you know, we didn't have artisan food producers, literally in the 1982, 3, 4, 5. And, um, you know, uh, even Ballymaloo would have been set up in those early days, the, the cookery school by Darina. Um, I think around at the same time that my parents set up Rudd's Bacon. So Derek was travelling around Ireland, called in to my parents to do one of these shows, um, and they became lifelong friends. And Dad uh, had said to me about, oh, I suppose maybe four or five months ago, had I asked Derek to do, a, to do a recipe. And I said, I haven't, Dad, but to be honest, what I'd love for Derek to do would be to write the foreword for the book. And when I rang Derek, he was absolutely thrilled. And he was at the launch party last week, and it was great because he hadn't seen my parents in two or three years. It was great for them to catch up. And it was, it was quite emotional at the same time because, you know, it was about him as well and his love of food. Now, let's talk about the book and the way it's laid out and everything, which I think is just fantastic. The theme is mouth-watering recipes and, and inspiring party ideas. But I think it is so much more than that. It is, and, and again, this came, came back to when we first sat down, myself and Kazoo Publishing, who are the company who promotes self-publishing, and also Lizzie Borgrimes, who is very much involved in the food scene. She's a food journalist, and she's an old family friend. I sat down with all of us, and we collectively sat down and said, listen, what do we want to achieve by that? And they both said, listen, Andrew, what do you want to achieve? This is your book. And because I didn't have the restrictions and confines of, of a publisher saying, well, listen, this is, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Um, I said, right, obviously it's going to be about entertaining. Um, I run a lot of cookery classes in my venue, Medley, and I've been doing it for a long number of years, so I can teach cooking as well. And I like all of my recipes to to be accessible. And a lot of recipes in cookbooks are not accessible, and, you know, they're not something that, you know, you'd instinctively open a book and think to yourself, oh, um, you know, that's going to be easy to produce or easy to cook. And that was the first thing for me. That was the first goal. So that was our kind of starting point. That was the prerequisite. So we then broke it down into chapters. And we thought, well, listen, if you're going to be entertaining, what themes would you have? So we have dinner for two. Um, so if you're going to be cooking for a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a nice, intim- you know, intimate, romantic dinner. So we have a, a, a chapter on that. We have a little introduction in terms of, you know, how you would assess the theme that you want to select. We then have the recipes, which are literally cooking for two people, because there's very few cookbooks where you can actually pick a recipe and say, well, listen, that's for two people, and to get the ingredients for two. So I was very kind of, you know, um, you know clear about that. And then we have another recipe, you know, elegant dinner party, four to six. And one of my favorites is a long, lazy brunch, lunch, brunch um, and, and theme, which is lovely as well. So, and then we have dinner parties on a budget. So there's something for everybody there. There absolutely is. And each section then, there's starters, main courses and desserts, as well as suggested menus. Yeah. And you know what? Interesting for the, for the suggestion, suggested menus. I was very adamant from day one that I wanted to have a photograph for every single recipe, which a lot of cookbooks don't have. Not only do we have that, but we then have the, the recommended menus at the end of each chapter. So we have three menu recommendations for each chapter. So if, it, if it's a dinner party for two uh, we have um, one of them is a French bistro, so we have French onion soup. Uh, we then have a fillet of beef, and then we have a tart tartan. But we also have corresponding pictures as a summary in the chapter ending. 
So when you're looking at the menu, rather than kind of having to go back through the book to find out which recipes look like what, we have a summary um, and slide of pictures as well. For somebody then that that doesn't maybe do a lot of cooking, what would be the the first recipe that you would recommend that they start off with? You know what? To be perfectly honest, anything in that book you could do. If you're not capable or, let's say, um, comfortable or don't have the confidence to cook, I can guarantee you, and I'll actually challenge some of your um, listeners to do this, if you follow the recipe, I, I have a philosophy in cooking that there's three important elements to cooking. One is having a good recipe. And if you follow that recipe verb, verb, verbatim and you don't deviate from that recipe, you will do it. Second philosophy I have in cooking is that, you know, having a good range of ingredients, having some, you know, kitchen toys, because it's very difficult to follow a recipe and to, to follow through if you don't have a good sharp knife. Sometimes people might cook with a kind of a, just a, a, kitchen, a kitchen knife, which, which isn't going to be sharp enough to cut an onion or to, to split a garlic clove and then to chop it up nice and finely. You have to have a few little toys in the kitchen. And the third most important um, element to cooking, in my view, is managing your time. So I would challenge anybody to try any of those recipes. And I, I promise you, any of them would work if you, if, you, if you follow those three guidelines. Well, let me ask you then, what's your favorite recipe in the book? My favorite recipe in the book... I think would have to be the beef wellington. Um, and it's just, it's such a sublime recipe. It's full of flavor. I was in Provence with some friends, actually. My friend Livy, um, who lives in Galway, um, I go to Provence with them every year with uh, Livy and her husband, and I'm very friendly with their daughter. And I was doing a lot of the cooking because nowadays I, I have a head chef now, Paul, who does most of the cooking because I'm kind of running the business side of things. And it was a great pleasure for me to be able to cook for a week um, just for friends and family. And we went out to try and find puff pastry, and I couldn't find any in, in the local village. So I found some kind of strong pastry dough, which is used for making bread. And I got some tin foil, and they brought a big fillet of beef over from Galway. Um, I went to the local shop, and I got some chicken liver. I made some pate. Um, I had a lovely cognac. I then brought some foie gras, mixed it with the pate. I used that as a pate over the fillet, and then I made a kind of a dissel mushroom mix. And because I didn't have the puff pastry, I wrapped it in tin foil, and over the top, I just massaged the, um, the, the dough, which is like used for bread, over the top of it into the oven, and it formed a loaf, which meant when I went to cook, when I, when I cooked it and I went to cut it, it stayed together, because very often beef wellington doesn't stay together. So it's one of these, it's, it's, it, for that reason, it's one of my favorite recipes. It's just full and bursting of flavor. And you actually have contributions from a few different people there. You, you mentioned Paul Arnold, your your head chef. Yes. He has a recipe in there. And Rosanna Purcell, I see, has a guilt-free banoffee. That's right. Well, I, I'm, again, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people know Ros Purcell. She goes out with Brezzy. Um, she's a friend of mine, so I've asked her to do one. She loves cooking, so she's yeah, the guilt-free banoffee. And Ruth Wassel, my friend. My friend Ian Gamble has done a recipe. Uh, my friend Aidan Miller has done one. Of course, my mother has done one as well. Um, and I think that was nice as well because it makes it, you know, a lot more kind of human as well. It's not just about me. It's, you know, a lot of my friends really love to cook. And my friend Ian, actually, sadly, his dad died very suddenly when I was make, when I, when, I, when I was doing the book. And he loves his cooking. And I asked him to do a recipe for him and he was just absolutely gobsmacked. And when the book came out last week, he has a sister that lives in Singapore. And it was actually really emotional for the family. And I just thought, you know what, that was a nice thing to do. And, you know, I just felt good about it, you know, and I was thrilled for Ian as well because it's gone to print, it's published. And when we were doing the book launch last week, we had all the contributors and we took photographs and it was just, 
it was quite emotional as well, but it was nice. And your mother works with you in the business, I believe. She does. Mum's 68 and uh, she loves coming up. She comes up twice a week if we're busy, three times a week if we're busy. And she just loves the crack. We have great fun. We have a small team. There's myself, there's Chris, um, and then we have um, Kevin Walsh, who's like a vent waiter. So he does all my front of house. And we just, we're a very small, closed team, and we just get on so well, and we have such a laugh. And it's, you know what, we get up every morning, go to work, and we have, a, we have fun, you know. And we, 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 we like to kind of, um, I suppose, see that other people acknowledge that the food that we're doing is good and uh, wholesome and tasty, and it's nice that people go away with a smile on their face. And that, for me, is, 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 is what's worth, um, you know, doing all this for. Well, the book is called Entertaining with Andrew Rudd. It's available on the website? Yeah, it's available through Dubray Books um, uh, in Dublin as well online. But actually, most uh, bookshops hopefully will have it. And if they don't, just go into your bookshop and ask them because Argosy and Eason's, who are the two biggest distributors in the country, um, they are distributing for me. Um, I've rented storage in Dublin, so I'm actually loading books into the booth of my car and, dis- and delivering them to the distributors. So there'd be no problem getting them. And I really would advise you know people to go into their bookshops get them ordered for christmas because it will sell out um, i've only got a certain number of orders um and you know um just i hope it uh, it does very well and i hope it kind of gives people the confidence to be able to you know do a dinner party without having the kind of you know the um, um the reluctance because they don't have the self-confidence because the book hopefully will give you that self-confidence well, I'm sure it will do very well. I think it's a beautiful book. Congratulations. And You're very we, kind. Thank we, you very much. We wish you all the very best with it. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break you heard me talking to Andrew Rudd about his first cookery book, Entertaining with Andrew Rudd, which I think is just a lovely tome of recipes and well worth buying. I'm hoping that resident cookbook reviewer Siobhan Noonan will have a chance to try some of the recipes in it in the next few weeks and if she does I'll get her into the studio to tell us what she thought about it and how she got on. I think it'd make a lovely gift at any time of the year and of course with Christmas coming we hope to help you out in that department with some suggestions from Lisa McGee who is the founder and creative director of Isle magazine. I met Lisa at the Dingle Food Festival in October and she told me a bit about the magazine whenever I spoke to her. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. I'm with Lisa McGee from Isle Magazine. Lisa, tell the listeners what Isle Magazine is. Well, Isle is an online magazine that I created two years ago and since then have created five issues. Isle stands for Irish Style Living and Enterprise and we're a lifestyle magazine about the Ireland of today and contemporary Ireland and feature um, pieces on travel, arts and crafts, food and drink producers, chefs and entrepreneurs. Tell us a bit about the food and drink and the chefs that are featured in in the issues that, that are online. Well, I've been living in Ireland for the past seven years and traveling all over the country and finding amazing pockets of creative people, um, either through food festivals or others. Um, So we're slowly working our way through featuring companies. In our first issue, for example, we featured the Burn Smokehouse, which is not only a prominent Irish brand, but it is also being marketed outside the country, which is great. 
but we've also done um, small producers, um, local chocolate companies. We always export an Irish cookbook every issue. Uh, the current issue, we do a whole piece on celebrating Irish salmon, so where to fish for salmon, the smokehouses around the country, and then obviously salmon recipes. We talk to beef um, producers, um, again, offering recipes, uh, people who are foraging for seaweed and all other types of great creative people. Do you get to travel extensively to do all this research and to talk to all of these people? Yeah, I'm pretty much gone every weekend. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's my passion and I just... I'm very lucky. I'm, I can get a lot out of one trip, and it's not just about going and eating food, but it's about meeting people. And because we do travel stories as well, travel ties into food, of course, and accommodation does. And then we meet small tour companies, and we meet people doing other great products all over the country. So it all ties in together very easily. It is an online magazine, so it's free. Have you any plans to do a hard printed copy? Well, yeah, we're actually, it's really exciting. We've just decided um, our sixth issue, which is going to be our second anniversary issue, will be out early November. And we have decided that we are going to finally print um, a limited number of copies. Um, so I can't wait to see it in print myself, even though um, I like the online medium. But it will be a slightly smaller A5 size, so it will be almost like a little travel book. And we'll be doing orders directly through us so that we're not going to print a mass amount and there won't be wastage. People can buy specifically to order it. Um, we won't be doing a huge distribution with this issue. And if people want to find out about that, the best place to go to is the website? Yes, and it's just islemagazine.com. Very simple. And we're also very active on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and all the other various social media networks. Lisa, all the best for the printed copy and I, I would strongly recommend the listeners to go on to the, the website there because it is a great online magazine and thanks for talking to me. Thanks so much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. That was Lisa McGee of Isle Magazine and she'll be back next week just in time for Thanksgiving to talk about how it's celebrated, what she gets up to and what food she makes. And um, we look forward to chatting to her then. Now, though, it's time to look at some events coming up. And a good place to check out what's happening is discoverireland.ie forward slash food. As you know, Helen McDade from Fulcher Ireland keeps us up to date with what's coming up at the start of the month. And details of the events she highlights are on that Discover Ireland website. If you're a Donald Skehan fan, and sure, let's face it, who isn't? He is out and about at the moment doing his Home Cook Hero Tour. And that includes many venues throughout the country and Limerick's Lime Tree Theatre is one of them. He'll be there this Friday, the 21st of November. Ron's Wine Tasting is Friday week. That's the 28th of November. And I'd advise you to get in touch with him as soon as possible. As he said earlier in the show that tickets are pretty limited now. Before you come to the wine tasting, there's a gluten-free day in the Sona's Health Food Shop. Worthwhile paying a visit to see the array of gluten-free options there. Another good event that's on this year, it's an annual event, is the Listowel Food Fair. Full details can be found on their website, listowelfoodfair.ie. Please keep sending me details of your cookery demos, food courses, product launches and fundraisers to s.noonan at live.ie and I'll be only too delighted to give them a shout out here on the diary on Best Possible Taste. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. 
Now we're out of time tonight, so I must just say a very huge thank you to guests Ron Forrestal, Karen Coakley, Andrew Rudd and Lisa McGee. Next week Lisa will be here again to talk about Thanksgiving and I hope to have details of another cookbook for you. So until then, mind yourself and as always, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!